After the proclamation of God's word, let's sing together hymn 65. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, the preacher announces at the beginning of the text this morning, so I hated life. And then he adds in the next verse, so I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun. He's filled with a double hatred. In fact, he almost sounds a little bit bitter. Well, if nothing else, the preacher, who is sometimes also called the teacher, or also sometimes called Koheleth, which really brings both preacher and teacher together, but this man... Solomon, with announcing this double hatred, he certainly has our attention. But why such strong language? And is this even right? Should someone who serves the Lord be talking like this? So I hated life. Is not life a gift from God, and should we not be thankful for it? And what about daily work, toil? I hated, he says, all my toil. Should we not be glad and thankful that we have health and strength to go about our daily work, whatever that may all include? This is strong language, brothers and sisters, and you might even feel... It's not quite right to talk this way. But it's there. It's there in the Bible. And this is all part of this book of the Bible, in many ways a fascinating and unique book, the book of Ecclesiastes. A book, brothers and sisters, which deals with the reality of life, including some of the hard and difficult realities of life, and it doesn't sugarcoat anything. The preacher, teacher, Koheleth, Solomon, he doesn't make things sound nice. He doesn't paper over the harshness that sometimes we all have to deal with. He speaks about it, and he also expresses his own struggles, his own frustrations, and sometimes, indeed, that comes out in very strong language. Already this, brothers and sisters, is a comfort for us in perhaps an unexpected way because it teaches us that when you have difficulty with your daily work, when you get frustrated, when you start to feel down, when you may even at certain point reach despair and say, What's the point? It all feels so useless and vain. And you, as a child of God, struggle with those type of feelings. Right from the start, your comfort is this. The Bible 
deals with those kinds of struggles. And let's look at it more closely this morning as we follow through this text on this theme, the suffering, but also the satisfaction in your daily work. We're going to look at three things. First of all, Koheleth's, or the teacher, the preacher's despair, his difficulty. Secondly, Christ's deliverance. And finally, our Christian delight. In this book of Ecclesiastes, the preacher is looking for some type of benefit, some type of long-lasting gain from all of his work. It started in chapter 1, verse 3. What does man gain from all the toil at which he toils under the sun? And when he's looking for some type of gain, brothers and sisters, he's looking for something that will have long-lasting value. Of course, you can put in a hard day's work. And you can get the house all ship-shape, or you can earn a couple hundred dollars. But you know that the house will get messy again, and those dollars will be spent before you know it. You see, but Solomon is looking for something deeper, something more long-lasting than that. Not just a few dollars, not just a clean family room, but if I work and I work hard, what value what benefit, what bottom line profit do I gain for the long term? That's what he wants to find out in life. And in order to find the answer to this question, he is definitely not just going to putter his way through life. Far from it. He says in verse 4 of chapter 2, I made great works. In other words, Solomon has a grand vision for his daily work. You know, there is this saying, brothers and sisters, maybe you've heard it as well, go big or go home. Solomon goes big and he builds a home. In fact, he builds homes. He builds, did you notice that, Houses, verse 4, not just house, but houses. And as he builds these houses, he does not hold back in any way whatsoever. If you look in 1 Kings chapter 7, you see a description of some of these houses which Solomon built, including the most impressive one, verse 2 of 1 Kings 7, the house of the forest of Lebanon. Its length was 100 cubits, and its breadth 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubits. Now, if you convert that into the measurements that we are familiar with today, this home, this house of the palace of the forest of Lebanon, was 15,000 square feet. That's quite a house. I found on the internet for sale a 15,000 square foot home. Let me list for you what it all had in it, just to get an idea of the size of the house that Solomon built. The one on the internet had, here we go, nine bedrooms, eight full bathrooms, four half bathrooms, 
a study, a formal living room, a formal dining room, a special breakfast room, a family room, a games room, a media room, yes, of course, a big kitchen, and a nine-car garage beside. Maybe that gives you a little bit of an idea of just how big, of course, Solomon's house didn't necessarily have all these different rooms, but to get in your mind an idea, a 15,000 square foot home, and that's only one of the houses that he built. If you read through the list, you see that there are other halls, there are other houses that he built, including a special house for Pharaoh's daughter. It was a whole complex, brothers and sisters, of big fancy houses and halls, all kinds of beautiful cedar wood. It would have looked so impressive. It would have also smelt quite beautiful. Solomon definitely went big, and he built houses. Now, brothers and sisters, the house that you in live in may not be nearly as big, not nearly as fancy as Solomon's house. But think about it. Over the years, you do put quite a bit of money, quite a bit of time, quite a bit of thinking, skill, knowledge. Not only do you buy a house, Lord willing, at a certain point, but you probably also renovate it, paint here, little addition there, perhaps. And when you put all of those things together, all of the fixing, all of the maintenance, all of the renovations, maybe the additions, it adds up to a lot of effort, a lot of toil, a lot of money, a lot of time. And of course, when the house is done, then you may start to think about the yard, the landscaping. Solomon did as well. Only Solomon again went all out. For not only did he make a nice yard for himself, as he says in Verse 5 of chapter 2, he not only built gardens, but he built entire parks for himself. Solomon had his own personal royal botanical gardens, as it were. He planted all kinds of beautiful trees. He even got into water gardening, made himself pools from which to water all of his trees. Not just a little pond with a few goldfish. He had water groves of all kinds of fancy trees. Solomon also brought in animals. We know that from other places. 1 Kings chapter 10. He even imported exotic animals like apes, like baboons, like peacocks. And Solomon, he knew a lot. At the end of 1 Kings 4, we read that Solomon not only had all of these things in his backyard, he also described plant life, Scripture says, from the cedar of Lebanon, which he used for his homes, to the hyssop that grows out of the walls. 
He also taught about animals and birds and reptiles and fish. Solomon was like a part-time botanist and zoologist. And why not? He could study it all in his own backyard. Well, again, your landscaping efforts may not be quite as grand as Solomon's were, but think about it. Over the years, the time, the energy, the money that you spend trying to make your yard look nice, nice lawn, some trees, some shrubs, a few flower beds here and there, maybe a little bit of hard landscaping, nice pathways. It all takes effort. It all takes time. And of course, it all takes money. And money has to come from somewhere, also for Solomon. And Solomon, in addition to being quite a house builder and a landscaper, botanist and zoologist, he also was a sharp businessman. Not only did he gain quite a large number of employees, male and female slaves, for seven, but he had huge possessions. He was big into livestock, herds, the big animals, like cows, flocks, the little animals, like sheep and goats. He had huge numbers of animals buying and trading, breeding, more than anyone before him in all of Jerusalem. And all of this activity, this business activity, led to quite a bit of money. He had silver, he had golds, he bought fancy things, the treasures of kings and provinces. In fact, if you looked at the wealth that Solomon had and the business activities, including working together with King Hiram of Tyre, and building up actually an international business because he had these trading ships, we read elsewhere in scripture, that even went down into Africa. Well, Solomon was no small operator when it came to the business world. He was a global magnate. And of course, at the end of a hard day's work, everyone wants to relax as well. Solomon too, and again, he doesn't just get himself a comfortable chair. Everything he did, he went big, great works. He had his own personal concert hall of musicians. He got singers, both men and women. He had people who could play musical instruments. He had people who could sing beautifully. After Solomon was done for the day, he could sit back and it was as if he had his own personal Tafelmusik concert going on in his living room. Wow. What accomplishments. What a life. Brothers and sisters, whether you look at the place that he lived in, the area, the yard that he had, the parks that he lived in, the success in business, the enjoyment of this beautiful music in his home, 
He had it all. But then one day, he stands back, he sits back, he looks at it all, and what does he say? Does he say, I've really accomplished something. This is great. I haven't made. No. He says, I hate it. I hate the house. I hate the landscaping. I hate all that business and all of that wealth. And I hate that beautiful music and those singers as well. You notice how sweeping his statement there? I hated all, no exception, I hated all my toil in which I toiled under the sun. He built this all up over years and years and came to the point of saying, I hate it. Just hate it. Why does he say this, brothers and sisters? You can hardly imagine. You might think, if I had a life and a house and landscaping and a business like Solomon, I would be so thankful, I'd be overjoyed. I hate all my toil, he says. There are three reasons why Solomon hates it all. He says, in the first place, one day I have to die and I must leave it all behind. We sang about that in Psalm 49 as well. And what really bothers him, what really eats away at him inside the verses 18 and 19 is that one day when he dies and all of that work, all of the results of all of his labors, it's going to go into the hands of somebody else and there's no way that Solomon can receive an absolute guarantee that that person's going to be wise and use that beautiful home and park and business well, or whether he'll be a fool and waste it all, squander it all. And that reality is the same for us. You know, brothers and sisters, even if your home is not 15,000 square feet, you can work really hard to keep that place up nicely. You do the updates, you do the rentals, and it's sharp. One day you have to sell it. Or if you die, then you'll be taken care of in the estate. And you have no idea, for sure, where it's going to go. And you could have spent years taking care of that house. You sell it to somebody, you drive by six months later, and the place looks like a rundown ramshackle shack. They just don't care about it whatsoever. Yard's a mess, paint's peeling. What a shame that is. You can build up a business over many years, it's thriving, it's solid. You can even lay out a careful succession plan, groom the next set of management, maybe even try to keep it in the family. But no matter how hard you try, you do not receive a rock-solid 100% guarantee that the people who take over your business are going 
to do well with it. Maybe they'll make foolish moves and the whole business goes down, down, down. You see, Solomon the preacher is getting distressed here. He's getting depressed here because he knows he's going to lose control. And he doesn't know what's going to happen to all of his hard, hard work. And then there's the second thing which adds to his frustrations. Verse 21, he says, Sometimes a person who has toiled very carefully with wisdom and knowledge and skill, but he must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. And there just seems to be something unfair about that. You know, one of the church fathers, Jerome, once said this, interesting, the sweat and the calluses of the dead are the ease and the comfort of the living. Jerome had a point. You can work so hard to get calluses on your hand and the sweat dripping from your brow. And who gets to enjoy it? Often, other people. Future generations or simply other people. And sometimes when you're in the middle of sweating, that just doesn't seem to be fair. And then added to that, the third thing. Verse 23. All his days are full of sorrow. His work is a vexation. Life is full of thorn and thistles. It doesn't come easily. But then look at this. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. Solomon was so busy trying to manage all of these grand big projects that sometimes he didn't sleep at night. His mind was just worrying and worrying and worrying, worrying about this and that and the next thing too. And how are you gaining anything then, brothers and sisters? Maybe you know this too. Sometimes your mind is so full of everything going on in your life you don't sleep. You work hard. You try to make sure everything is done just right. And what's your reward? A sleepless night. And you get out of bed, your head is in the fog of insomnia, and you have to go out and do it all over again. Do you understand why Solomon got frustrated? Do you understand, brothers and sisters, why he said in verse 20, So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair. If you just look at it from the outside, Solomon had a pretty nice life. Did you know that Solomon struggled with bouts of depression? That's what he's talking about here. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair. It's one thing if you experience despair, but when you give your heart up to it, then you're really feeling quite, quite low. This was the depths to which Solomon sometimes went. This is sometimes how dark 
difficult and just frustratingly useless it all seemed to him at times. And if you've had days that you felt at least a little bit something like this, if you've had days, brothers and sisters, where some of the thoughts that went through Solomon's mind were also going through your mind, then you can begin by being thankful that the Word of God does not avoid it, but speaks about it quite plainly. Of course, and thankfully so, the Holy Spirit doesn't leave you there. Rather, in the second half of the text, there's quite a change. And the change is most pronounced on the pronouns. If you would read back through the verses 18 through 23, and you would count the number of times that Solomon says, I, or me, or my, I think you'll come to about 10. 10 times in about five or six verses. Something, brothers and sisters, is not right about that perspective. So concentrated, so focused on me, my wisdom, my skill, my projects, my toil, my labor. But then notice, by the grace of God and through the working of the Holy Spirit in verse 24, it starts to change. Don't hear about me. Don't hear about I anymore. Instead, whom do you hear about? God. God, 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 three times in a row, and the hymns refer to God as well. He makes a journey from me to thee. He changes from concentrating on ego to focusing on God. And that's the turning point. Because he comes to see, brothers and sisters, that apart from God, if your whole life is really just me, 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 and you're honest, you're not going to enjoy life. You won't enjoy what you eat. You won't enjoy what you do. But the flip side is this. If you do focus on God and you do start to see things not as your big project, your grand plan, but rather a gift from the hand of God. Verse 24, this also I saw is from the hand of God. That's when things start to look different again. Solomon sees the food on his table as not the result of his business dealings and the wealth he obtained, but as a gift from the hand of God. He starts to see that enjoying work is not something that he can work up in himself, but it's a gift that comes down from God. And brothers and sisters, we, by the grace of God, are farther ahead than Solomon. That step that Solomon took was crucial. 
But God has taken us one giant leap forward from what we, for what we have received from the hand of God is not only food on our table, not only the ability to enjoy our work, but 2 Corinthians 9, the indescribable gift of God. The gift that transcends all gifts. The project of God which is greater and grander by far than anything Solomon ever dreamt of. It is the gift of Jesus Christ and the grand project of saving sinners and giving them eternal life. And we know about that gift from God's hand in a way that Solomon could only see in the shadows. And with that comes a connection back to your daily work. Because in Colossians chapter 3, we read that your life, brothers and sisters, please note that word, your life is now hid with Christ in God. Not just your body, not just your soul, but your whole life, your daily work in the house, your daily work in the office, your daily work on the job site, your house, your landscaping, everything that is a part of your life, it's tucked away with Christ in God. And when you see that, then you as a Christian can really, truly have delight rather than despair in your daily work. Then you can have, brothers and sisters, satisfaction rather than just the grind of suffering through another day. How so? Briefly as follows. Take your house. Maybe quite a humble house compared to Solomon's palace of the forest of Lebanon, but it's a house. And you do your best to take care of it. Who gave you that house? Following the second half of the text here, that too is a gift which comes from the hand of God to you. And when it comes time that God, by his hand, has to remove that house from your ownership and give it to somebody else. After all, it comes from God. It's his house, ultimately. If he no longer gives it to you, but gives it to someone else, and even if that person is a fool and does not take good care of that decent house, well, you can understand that's frustrating if you drive by, but ultimately, that person is not responsible to you as former owner, but that person, whether wise or fool, whether Christian or not Christian, that person is responsible to God. And so in that way, it's off your mind. While God gave it to you, you use it, you take good care of it. What happens afterwards, that is between that person and God. You don't have to stress. You don't have to lose sleep over that. Your business, your career, your daily work, 
while you have it in your hand, do it with all your heart, do it well, your studies, your work in the home, your work at the business. But when it comes time that God is going to take that responsibility and that work and give it to somebody else, because you move on to something else, you retire or one day we die, then that person will be responsible to God, not to you. And so you can go down the whole list, the landscaping, every enjoyment in life. While you have it, use it. Use it also, brothers and sisters, with a view to the fact that you are a citizen in Christ's kingdom and that your whole life is now hid in Christ. So going back to the home, you not only take good care of it, because after all, it's a gift to you from God, but you see how can you use those maybe 2,000 square feet in service to the King Jesus Christ? Can you open up your home and be hospitable to people? Can you in that way encourage them in their service to the Lord Jesus Christ? Can you use and develop your business in such a way that not only is the bottom line positive in the black and maybe even growing year over year, but that that business is also of service to the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ? Can you take care of your children? Can you also help out your neighbor in such a way that the king is glorified and honored. You see, when you start looking at your daily work in that way, and not just another assignment from the teacher, another day with another bill to pay, another day of cleaning up and cooking and doing the laundry, when you look at your whole life and every little labor all tucked away and hid in Christ, then you can say, it's a joy to work in the Lord's service. Amen.